The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, while you're making your way there, just want to remind you that uh, directly after the service this morning in the fellowship hall is uh, our uh, lunch for, it's a donation lunch for our scholarship fund, and so that goes to help uh, our graduates with high school and college and seminary students. So if you're interested in, uh, in helping out with that, I think there's hot dogs, hamburgers, uh, chips, and drinks. And so that's directly following the service. It's in the uh, fellowship hall. Uh, feel free. It's a free meal. Just drop a $100 bill on the plate, and uh, that'll be a blessing to them. And then I also want to uh, remind you that uh, this is our day of prayer for Vacation Bible School coming up. And so uh, if you found your place, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 12 today, let me have a word of prayer for us. I'll pray for Vacation Bible School as well, and, uh, and then we'll see what the Lord has to say. Let's pray together. Our Father, we love you and thank you for your kindness and mercy and grace. We thank you uh, for uh, coming up, Lord, in a month and a half or so, our Vacation Bible School. As uh, children will come, we pray that many of our own children would be involved in that. And as well, Lord, those from our neighborhood and around this area, I pray that uh, they would come and that they would hear the gospel and be saved. Pray for workers and teachers and uh, everybody else in between, Lord, that you would just grant them grace and mercy and strength uh, to accomplish your purposes. Lord, we pray for the luncheon in a little while uh, for uh, uh, raising money for our scholarship fund. I pray that that would um, be a blessing, Lord, that it might be used uh, for those who are graduating at different levels of life and uh, to be encouraging them along the way. And now we pray for this uh, blessed text that's in front of us, Lord. I pray that you'd help us today to understand it and to imply it to our own lives. And we will thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. First uh, Thessalonians chapter number four, and uh, we're going to try and bite off these first 12 verses, see if we can get these done. Let me read them for, for you. Uh, you read silently and I'll read out loud for it. So it says here, finally, then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still the more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse number three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. Because the Lord is the avenger in all of these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Verse number 9, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. 
But we urge you, brethren, to, uh, to excel still more I, uh, and, and to make in your ambition, uh, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and to work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Now that's a, that's a massive portion of scripture and we're going to see how far we can get in this today. But uh, I was thinking that uh, one time I saw a bumper sticker that said, uh, not perfect, just forgiven. If any of you have ever seen something like that before, uh, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. I, I think I would just say to all of us today that there's a lot of room between not perfect and just forgiven. And most of us tend to uh, go on either side of that. We either live on a, a perfectionistic kind of mentality where we're earning our salvation, we're earning the merit and the favor of God. And if I don't, if I'm not a perfect person, if I, if I have any sins in my life, then somehow God is angry at me. God won't save me. God won't put his uh, power and grace in my own life. But there's also people that go to the far other extreme where they say, I, I, I'm just forgiven. And so there's no, and there's no effort in the Christian life. There's there's no working or ethics in the Christian life. I, you can't do it anyway. I'm just forgiven by the grace of God, so I'll live however I want. And when I die, I'll go to heaven based upon the merit of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say to us today that those polar opposites, both of them are wrong. We want to understand that for a lost person, that they cannot save themselves, they cannot earn their salvation, they cannot live a good enough life to get into heaven, but they must come and submit their hearts before the Lord Jesus Christ and be willing not to have a lasciviousness in their own nature to say, I'll take salvation, but I'll live how I want. No, we bow down before him and say, God Almighty must save me by his grace and his merit alone on the cross of Calvary, but it comes with a heart that says, because Jesus has saved me, therefore I will live the life that God has called me to live. I will live in holiness and righteousness. I will live an ethically sound biblical life because that is what God has called me to do. So we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, but that faith alone leads to a life of working and effort for the Lord Jesus Christ and make no bones about it. You cannot be saved if what you're saying is, I'll take Jesus and live my own life. That is not the case. I, there are so many people that prayed a prayer and signed a card and were dunked underwater and they have all of the trappings of religion, but they never in their life experienced a transformation whereby the grace of God has caused them to live out the Christ-like life in their everyday community and family and life and individual life. And if your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a holy life, you do not have faith in Christ. Now, with that being said, let's look at the text today. Let me break it from down for you, maybe in three sections. Verse 1 and 2, you might want to just jot off to the side this. Grow every day toward a life that pleases God. Let me say that for you again. Grow every day toward a life that pleases 
God. Verse 1 and uh, verse one and 2 are really a general command to please God with your life. Verse 3 and following are specific commands of how we might work that out in our own life. But I want to say first of all, in a general sense from verse 1 and 2, grow every day toward a life that pleases God. Read with me the verses again. Let me take them apart. He says, finally then, brethren, and the Apostle Paul, when he's writing here and he says, finally, he's not saying I'm at the end of the, uh, I'm at the, end of the book, although we're getting close. What he's saying here is what I'm trying to tell you is the culmination of the chapters that have gone before. What I'm saying here is faith in Christ and the cross of Christ and the resurrection and all that Jesus has done for me, this is what it culminates into. He says, finally then brethren. So notice that he's not necessarily at this place speaking to unbelievers, but he's speaking to the body of Christ. He is speaking to the church at Thessalonica and by proxy is speaking to the church at Emmanuel Baptist Church. He says, finally then brethren. We request and exhort. You'll notice that double inclination here. He says, we request and we exhort you. It's, just, it's as if the Apostle Paul says, listen, I really would like for you to live a holy life. And by the way, this isn't optional. Okay? It's what he says, listen, I request and I exhort. And then notice the prepositional phrase here, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is always about that. Notice at the end of verse number 2, again, he's going to hit you with this preposition of, by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So you understand that our Christian life and the ethics and the right living and the holiness that we are embarking on as Christians is not in our own uh, power, but it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not for our own glory, but it's for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not by our own power or authority, but it is by the authoritative command of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must all remember as the church that when we live a holy life, we do so not for ourselves and not to our own glory, but for the glory of God and the good of the world. He says here, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. Now look at the, uh, look at the request here. It gets lost a little bit. He says, here's the request, that as you receive from us instruction... As to how you ought to walk and please God. Then notice here the little parenthetical statement. Just as you actually do walk. Here's what he's requesting and exhorting them. That you excel still the more in your walk and in the way that you please God. Brothers and sisters, let me just pause for a moment and say. God wants us to grow every day in a life that pleases God. God. Notice here he says here, you ought to walk and please God. And he says there, you're already doing this. And can I say to our church today, many of you in this room today as believers, you're already walking with God and pleasing God. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a good thing. But the Apostle Paul says, don't grow complacent with where you are in your Christianity. And say, some of you in this room, you might say, well, I got saved a long time ago. I come to church and I, and I go to Sunday school even. And then I sit in the pew, I sing the songs, I'm here. And, but, but the Apostle Paul is saying, that's wonderful, that's good. You're walking with God, you're pleasing God, you're staying with God. Excel still the more in this. I, I would say to you, Grow closer to the Lord and the Word. If you're in your prayer life, don't grow complacent. 
Pray more and more. Read the Word. Uh, evangelize. Share the gospel with people. Serve in your local church. Serve here. Find a place to get involved and plug in. And wherever you are in your growth and pleasing God, in your walk and in the life that you live, grow, grow, grow. You remember the little children's song, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Do y'all, do y'all remember that when you were kids? And then you neglect your Bible before you get to pray, and you shrink, 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 and you go down. Listen, God does not want you. If you are complacent, you're going backwards. God wants you to move forward and honor and excel still the more in right living in a life that pleases God. I fear that many of us have a desire to please other people more than we want to please God. Are you more concerned with what other people think about your life or are you so focused on what Jesus thinks of you? Do you live every day of your life seeking to please God with what you say, where you go, what you do, how you react, the things you come into contact with? Are you seeking to please the Lord in a righteous way and excel at it? Look at the next verse. He says, For you know what commandment we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus God desires in every area of our life that we give 100% of our effort to live holy, righteous, pleasing lives to Him. Now, let me stop preaching and just talk to you for a minute. As a congregation, you're listening. And we're a church. But don't just walk out of here and say, yeah, that's what the Bible says. I'm asking you right now. Is there a desire inside of you? I don't, it doesn't matter what age you are, what, uh, what gender you are, where you come from, your background. As a believer, do you have an intense desire to please God every day? Would you answer that honestly? And I'm not saying necessarily that you've got to spend, you know, read 34 chapters out of your Bible every day. But what I'm asking is, when you wake up every morning and you go about your day, is the strongest desire in you to earn a living, to make it through the day, to be uh, not at odds with your friends and spouses and coworkers, or is the greatest desire in your life that God would be pleased with you? Now, let me teach for a moment. I want you to understand that at the very core value, the Bible teaches that we are seated together with Christ in heavenly places and that God is pleased with His believing people by the merit of Jesus on the cross. And so there's a sense, and this is a freedom. Now listen to me. Can I put your thinking cap on me? This is a freedom. I'm not asking you to get up every day and say, I've got to live a life that pleases God or He won't be pleased with me. No, what I'm asking you to do and what the Apostle Paul is asking you to do is to get up every day and live a life completely sold out to pleasing God because He is pleased with you. Because He loves you and He gave His Son to die for you 
and to be raised again for you. And He's adopted you into His family. And you can never be outside of His family now. And He provides for you and takes care of you. And He makes all things that we need for a life of godliness and righteousness. God has given everything for you. And the Apostle Paul turns around and says, you ought to pursue living a life that pleases the one who loves you. I maybe just take a couple minutes more and, and drive this nail. Uh, well, screwing the screw. Let me drive the nail in. I fear that not just here, but in many churches, both Baptist and Evangelical, I, I fear sometimes that we have people who have trusted Christ but have grown complacent in their life. And you're okay with that. You see, you ought to come into church each week worn out spiritually. You know, Monday through Saturday, you ought to be working these out in your life. You look at the areas of of your life where you're not pleasing to the Lord or where you're doing things that would be uh, displeasing, doing things that would be wrong. And you say, man, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm going to call out for the Spirit of God to help me. I'm going to flee to the cross of Calvary. And I'm going to try and keep God before my mind. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to wake up and talk to my wife and my children, my families, my coworkers. I'm going to give everything I have as I go through my day. I want to ask God to make me conform to the image of Jesus and I'm going to try give every effort to live for Jesus. I'm going to come home at the end of the day and say, Lord, I messed up here and here and here. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Help me tomorrow to go at it again, to live a life that pleases you and honors you and glorifies you and draws attention to you. And you wake up the next day and you go and you go and you go and you go. And part of the reason why people lay out of church and part of the reason why people don't come on Wednesday night is because you're not living as hard as you possibly can for God in the meantime. And therefore... You're okay. The people that get the most from Sunday morning worship are the people who are trying the hardest all week to live by the help of the Spirit of God a life of holiness and righteousness that pleases God. You ought to find some areas in your life right now some of those stony places. You ought to find some big boulders that are in your life that shouldn't be there. And you leave. You, just, you, you ought to have a, something turning over. Preacher, if you'll just shut up, I'm going to go out of here and I'm going to pray and I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and I'm going to find the biggest pickaxe I can and I'm going to crush that rock with the help of the Spirit. And you, you wake up tomorrow morning and you'll start hammering away at it and your hands will start vibrating and hurting because that rock's pretty hard and you're going to beg and plead for the power of the Spirit of God and you're going to go back to the notes and read that text again and you're going to get up on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and you're going to hammer away at that. You're going to find some things that are good to do in your life like sharing the gospel and reading the scripture, serving other brothers and sisters in the life of the church and in your community. You're going to say, Lord, I am busy. I don't have any time at all. My head is about to explode. I can need to wrap it in duct tape, but I'm going to find somewhere this week to serve another human being in the name of Jesus. And you walk in here next Sunday and a song will start playing 
about how good Jesus is and how marvelous Jesus is and what He's done for you and what Christ has done. And the sweet Spirit of God will move right into your heart and start breathing new life and power and grace. And He'll give you everything that you need through worship and the Word to walk right back out into the world the next week and to have victory over sin and to live a life that pleases God in the things that you do. God has called us to grow every day and excel in a life that pleases Him. My encouragement to many of you is you're on the road, right? You you, you got on the trail and you're walking well. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep going. Let me give you a, a second point here that the Apostle Paul does. Verse 3 down through verse number, really, 8 is more specific. And so I would simply say this. Verse 3 through 8 says this kind of thing. Grow every day in purity before the Lord. Now, isn't it interesting that the broad command comes first, please God with your life. But now look at the ethical teachings here. This gets right down to the nitty gritty of our life. And listen to me, you may be here and when you hear me say purity or you read the words, uh, you know, uh, sexual immorality in this text, you might say, oh, that's not me. I can check out. I'm good there. But I want you to focus your attention on it because you might not be as far away from some of this as you think you are. In fact, if you just look at the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul, who wrote a, uh, who's, who's, the Gospels are about Christ, and the Apostle Paul wrote uh, numerous many books in the New Testament, did you know that they oftentimes are speaking about the sinfulness of immorality? So it's important for us to look at it. Look what he says here in verse 3. For this is the will of God, right? Brothers and sisters, those of you that are graduating high school or college or seminary, so I don't know what the will of God is for my life. I would simply say to all of you here today, there may be a number of areas in which you need to seek God's will, but here is one area that God has made it crystal clear. The will of God is your sanctification. The word sanctification here is the word holy or righteousness. And look what it says here. Your sanctification, that is, this is what sanctification is in this context, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Well, let me give you the uh, surface meaning of this. First of all, the word here is uh, pornea, which we get uh, our English word pornography from. It's not always used this way in the New Testament, but in this place it is speaking of uh, fornication or what we see with our eyes and putting our, our eyes and our bodies and those things in positions that are wrong and immoral sexually. God calls to us and says pornography is wrong, fornication is wrong, immorality is wrong is wrong. And I would say to all of our gentlemen that are here today, I want to hammer on you first and then I'll say something as well to our ladies. Gentlemen, you ought to be careful with your eyes. Don't call me a legalist. Uh, don't, don't say that I'm harder than the scripture is. I am telling you there are men after man after man after man who falls and fails and leaves his family over the wickedness of immorality sexually. Keep your eyes on what is right and away from what is wrong. And if you need help, get help. Come see your pastor. Come see your leaders. Speak to your Sunday school teacher. 
If you need help, there are people to help. And I'm telling you, if you're the man and the sitting in this congregation and you have a, a little a smug attitude about you as if that's for somebody else, but you're not struggling with it, I would say search your own heart because you most likely are. And ladies, I would say to you, be careful. This is not just a one-sided thing as if it only belongs to men in this room. I would say to every lady in the room, be careful with what you do with your eyes and what you think about and where you go and the things you say and what you do. Be careful. Here's sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then notice the further description, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel or body in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Well, since I'm already knee-deep in this sermon, how about if I just explain this to you? This is for men and for women. The further explanation here that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, I think what the Apostle Paul might be coming at here is he's, uh, he's saying, look, it's not just the act of sexual immorality. It's being careful with your own body that you possess it in a, in a manner that is holy and brings honor to God. So I do want to pause for, for a moment and give you just a, a word that you, don't, you don't, probably don't hear a lot and it's not very popular, but from both men and for both women, I want to say be careful what you wear. Be careful the clothing on your body. It does matter. It does. The clothes you wear matter. I heard a preacher this last week say something that I thought was very interesting, at least made me think for a minute. He said, he said, ladies ought not to dress in a manner that's attractive, but beautiful. And there's a difference between that. The way you dress is not to be luring the attention of every other person in the world, but it's to be beautiful as a vessel before God in honor and sanctification. Now, we... <laughs> We play around in the in the office. Uh, uh, I was uh, the other day. I came in uh, on Monday, my day off to pick something up or do something. And I had some uh, shorts on, and I think it was uh, it was Mark or Jamie, somebody. I was I was telling them I had shorts on, and my legs are wider than a sheet. I'm telling you. They, uh, they, they are not very pretty at all. And uh, so that was Jamie. I was telling Jamie, keep your eyes up here. Don't be looking at my legs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I say that just to cut the tension with you, but I I want you to understand. Men, women alike. And men, you don't get to just throw this teaching off on women and say, oh, that's for you. No, it's for all of us. Be careful with the way that you dress. Ask yourself, why do I I want to wear this? What's the purpose behind this? Is, you know, is the purpose behind this to honor God? And, to, and look, I'm not a weirdo. I'm not telling you you can't dress in modern fashion or any of that. I, I'm not saying that women have to wear straight-length moo-moos or any of that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not. I said, listen, be fashionable. That's fine. But you ought to have a conversation with the Spirit of God as how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. And you ought to model that in your life for our sons and daughters that are growing up in a world that will chew them up and spit them out. 
where most boys in this country are viewing pornography before they're 10 years old. The Bible calls for a bit of holiness and righteousness. And so I say to us collectively as a family, the specifics here, how do I live a life that pleases God? Well, don't commit the sin of sexual immorality and be careful about the way that you possess your body in sanctification and honor. Look, if you would, just a little further in the passage. Verse number 6. Some people think that there's two subjects here, sexual immorality and the way that we use money, but I I think it's probably uh, both and. It's both together. Look at verse number 6. And that no man transgress or defraud his brother in in the matter or in a matter, uh, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. Now, I know that's not a popular passage, but I I want you to understand that God is intensely interested in our holiness, that we walk and live and act and we behave sexually and we behave with our money in ways that are not lustful or defrauding, that we live holy and righteous lives. I'm reminded years and years ago, I heard an old pastor say say to me, he said, um, he says, it reminds me of this passage. He said, uh, Steve, he said, I'll tell you where most ministers are, are likely to fall in uh, females and finances. Well, you may not be a minister today, but I, I would say that there are two of these subjects here that are very specific. And the Lord is saying, be careful about what you put your eyes on. Be careful about any form of pornography and sexual immorality. Be careful the way you possess yourself, how you walk, how you live, how you present yourself to the world. That they see you as beautiful, created in the image of God and righteous to them and helpful for them. And at the same time, being careful not to transgress your brother and to defraud them to take from them. Why? Because God is the avenger. You understand what that passage means? God's really upset when we sin in these areas. And that's another unpopular, I'm sorry for the unpopular subject today, but it's, it, the Bible teaches that God is the judge and that there is a just anger over sin. And part of that is when God has called us out of a life of being lost and He's called us to be image bearers and Christ bearers and He's put His image in us so that we are to be holy like the Lord Jesus Christ. When we live like unbelievers again, it is something that God does not like at all. God wants us to live as new creations. The old things have been passed away. All things have become new. Well, look with me quickly. I'll give you one more point. Well, verse number 7 kind of uh, brackets that. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity. You see that? God's not called us to be impure people, but in sanctification. So he who rejects... Uh, that is not rejecting man, but God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Right? When we live in immorality or in our minds or with our bodies, when we live immorally or when we defraud other people, it's as if we are rejecting God who has put His Holy Spirit in us. So we don't want to live like that. Well, let me give you a third point. Grow every day in love toward each other and unbelievers. Let me quickly take these verses apart. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you might want to circle or highlight how many times he talks about the brethren or the love of the brethren. 
Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. Well, well, why? (laughs) Well, Paul's going to go ahead and write about it anyway, but why is that? For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And I want to say something to our congregation here. God wants to teach you how to love each other. If you surrender your heart and yield to Him, God will help you to love each other, even the ones that aren't that lovable. And it says here, For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But notice here, But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Do you see how that kind of brackets verse number 1? In verse number 1, I want you to excel in a life that pleases God. At the end of this section, He wants you to excel in a life that loves people. But we urge you to excel still more. And then notice this. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. That's actually a play on words there. It's as if it's uh, Paul saying this. I want you to pursue with a lot of ambition, not having ambition. I want you to be really energetic about being restful. That's what he's saying. I want you to pursue with a white hot ambition leading... A quiet life, attend to your own business, and work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Maybe I just end this section by simply saying this. We ought to grow every day in our love. And that love has to go in two places toward each other, toward the brethren, they said the word their brother and sister, toward the body of Christ in our local assembly, and toward outsiders. We want to pursue with ambition, living kind of quiet, steadfast, humble, honest lives, working with our hands, doing the things that are right, so that the people that are on the outside of the church, they recognize what's going on with God's people, and they say there's something different there. So maybe I would just ask you today in your own life, are you pursuing as hard as you possibly can to love each other and to love unbelievers? Maybe I should get just a little bit more in your life. In the last seven days, have you intentionally done anything to demonstrate love to another member of this church? Your family excluded. Don't cheat. Did you call anybody, text anybody, email anybody, knock on somebody's door, call them on the phone, see them on a Wednesday night? Did you do anything in the last seven days to demonstrate love to another believer in this church? And now let me just tighten it down a little bit more. In the last seven days... Have you done anything to demonstrate the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ to an unbelieving person? Maybe you didn't get a full gospel-centered conversation, but did you have any conversation with an unbeliever where you started moving them a little bit more toward receiving Christ? Did you invite them to a service? Did you invite them to one of our events? Did you speak to them about something God had been speaking to you about in, in, in your own life, in your own service, in your own church? Did you demonstrate love to somebody in the church or somebody out of the church? Would you bow your heads with me close your eyes for a moment?
pretty, um, pretty simple sermon today. Grow in the way that you please God. Grow in your purity. And grow in your love. I said at the very beginning, it's not a works-based religion. Christ is the one that dies for us. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and what Jesus has done. But I want all of you to know today, many of you here this Sunday, believing members of this church, I want you to know that the expectation of a follower of Christ is that you just do that. Follow Christ in the way that you live. That means that you grow ever. The Bible says Jesus did always those things that pleased His Father. Right? Jesus lived a pure life. And when Jesus was asked, He said the greatest command is to love God and love your neighbor. So if you are a Christian, I want to urge you right in your heart right now to commit to the Lord to actually live that out tomorrow. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.